Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. As a full moon rises over the quaint Major Spoilers HQ, a howl is heard in the distance. Only the bravest of souls leave the comfort of their seats to go investigate what it could be. Venture with the foolish travelers as they ignore sound advice and go off the road and discuss an American wa- werewolf in London. How? What do you know, Zach? Just in time for the uh, end of All Hallows Eve. Yeah. What a quinkadink. Yeah. Almost like man, it was man. planned. Nah, I doubt it. This is why you need to follow... <laughs> <laughs> this is why you need to follow instructions, Zach. Yeah. If someone tells you, stay on the road, mm-hmm. don't venture off into the moors, Yes. you need to follow instructions. Absolutely. And if we're looking at something that shows how Americans don't follow instructions, mm-hmm. American Werewolf in London, Rodrigo, is that movie. That's right. Uh, American Werewolf in London, a huge indictment of American tourists. Oh, just terrible people. Is, is yeah. They bust in asking for food in the middle of the night. Yeah. Hey, give me some they, food. They ask you, food. ask you what your pentagram is for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They expect it's to sleep crazy. with your nurses. Yeah. I, li- I like your pentagram. So, uh, Zach, give us a breakdown of this uh, of this story. Yes. So, we kind of covered the first part. David and his friend, uh, uh, Jack. Jack? Yep, I knew it was a J. Something like that. Uh, are two Americans who decide to go... What I believe is backpacking through Europe. Europe. Mm-hmm. And they uh, take a ride from a sheep man, get stuck in a town, <laughs> and they figure out very he grew quickly. Up in the country, but not on a farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a herder, if you will, maybe. Uh, they, they, they find out they're not welcome in, in this tavern, and they strike off, but they're told, stay on the road, don't go in the moors, beware of the moon, or something like that. Uh, they ignore this. A werewolf attacks 
kills Jack, maims uh, David, and he is in a coma for a while. Eventually turns into a werewolf, terrorizes London. Mm. Thus, the title, An American Werewolf in London. Pretty much it. I mean, a horror story. The interesting thing about the horror genre is it kind of goes in cycles. Mm-hmm. So in the early days of horror, you had some of the, um, uh, you know, some of the uh, trip to the moon type stuff wouldn't necessarily call it horror, even though it has, you know, like demons and things popping around and some of the malaise mm-hmm. work. But, um, you know, the it's Universal Studios really got their start in, I mean, they were a lower rung um, movie production company. Back in the early days of Hollywood, I mean, I think RCA was higher, ranked higher than Universal was. Mm. And they latched onto the horror genre. And, um, of course, you had The Phantom, which was a silent movie. Then you started to have um, movies like uh, Frankenstein, Dracula. The Mummy. The Mummy. The Wolfman, right? And that really took Universal to a whole other level as this monster movie company elevated the universal monsters that we know of, of them today, even though they're just all uh, public domain mm-hmm. characters from, from long dead authors um, into this, into the stratosphere of what you can do with it. Unfortunately, what happens a lot of times with a genre is eventually it all will devolve into parody. And so you have Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman, or you have Frankenstein meets the Wolfman and you have all of these kinds of things. And even, Bride of Frankenstein is almost a, a parody or almost a comedy mm. uh, to an extent. And so then the monster genre waned for a while. And then it started to come back in uh, the late 50s, uh, early, uh, really the late 50s with the, the B-movie horror stuff. You know, these ants from outer space mm. killing people in the invaders from yeah. Mars, invasion of the body snatchers. And you have some real horror that pod comes people. in. Pod people. You know, that. then that wanes. And then in... Uh, the late 70s, early 80s, we start to see the resurrection of the horror genre once more with movies like Friday the 13th, uh, with movies like The Shining, uh, with movies like An American Werewolf in London that really try to recapture audiences' enjoyment of being scared to death. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies start to get a little bit too crazy. You know, you get out there into the Dream Warrior land. Mm-hmm. And people are just kind of give up on the genre, although we could talk splatter films another time. Um, then the genre resurrects itself once more in the late 90s um, with a lot of the torture porn stuff mm-hmm. uh, that, that came out. Plus plus the later on with the return of the zombie movie. Too. Right, and the zombies as well. But it seems like the what latest... That, that early 90s, that whole Scream thing, wasn't that like... Yeah, Scream yeah. was kind of being self-referential mocking itself um coming around but that did lead into uh the torture porn stuff like saw and um um hostile and i forget what's the other one that's just more recent um centipede uh, human centipede human centipede you know those kinds of things house of a thousand corpses so there's no movie called the human centipede. we see <laughs> the the ebb and flow of horror movies yeah. all the time the interesting thing about the American Werewolf in London is it smacks right in the middle of the 80s horror, and it does it in a way to where it treats the horror as both horrific, because we'll get into the Baker uh, makeup in just a little bit, Rick Baker, um, but it also adds a huge element of humor into into the horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen I've seen interviews with uh, with John Landis, who... Um 
And the, you know who John Landis is, right? I mean, Ferris, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Right? Yeah. Animal House. Yep. So, um, where he's trying to get the movie made, and they won't, because they're like, it's too funny to be a horror movie, right, right, right. and it's too scary to be a comedy. Right. Yeah. Um, so, finally, he, he goes in and he gets it made, um, and uh, it turns out to you know be both at the same time mm-hmm. you know it's like it's it's one of the first like successful horror comedies and matthew had mentioned you know the scream series uh, yeah, scream right. was very much that way right. as scream well is that way Shaun of the dead mm-hmm. yeah um which i think probably leans a little harder on comedy but mm-hmm. has like really horrific moments in it oh, as yeah, well yeah. somebody's you know? guts being ripped yeah, out exactly yeah. exactly yeah. some really hard like scary starts in that um and really what American Werewolf in London does successfully with the humor is that it removes a lot of your horror movie expectations. Mm. You know, you expect yes. to be in this like spooky house and for the monster to be somewhere in there. Right. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't happen in this movie. I mean, it happens at the very beginning. Right. But the fact that everything's funny, the fact that the guy that warns you that something bad's going to happen is decaying in front of your eyes, yes. but yeah. also has a better, very matter of fact mm-hmm. um, attitude about it. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it just kills any expectation that you have to encounter a trope that you already know, and right. it like it, it allows you to be scared mm-hmm. um, without expecting it. Right, yeah. um, and I think I, there, think I think what works about the Jack the Dead friend moments is. As you said, we get to see him decay the yeah. m- multiple times that he pops up, but he is very matter of, matter of fact as, you got to kill yourself, man. Mm-hmm. You got to kill yourself and keep me from wandering the earth. And, oh, by the way, here are the six people you kill- killed last night, uh, Susie yeah. and her boyfriend, Tom. Hello, hello, how are you? Uh, yeah. Please use a gun and kill yourself. You know, it's just that, wow, really? Right. That's 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 really well put together in, in those parts. And and I think that there was another bit that I found extremely fun. Oh, the the dream sequence that he has when he's in the coma mm-hmm. of uh, Nazi werewolves coming in and murdering his yeah. family. Right. Uh, I, I think you really nailed it on because my defense, I am not one that likes horror movies that much. I don't like. Uh, I'm out of that moment of my life where I like that thrill of being scared. And so my defense, if I have to watch one, is trying to make it funny and make myself laugh so I remove the hum- uh, the horror from it. But this movie meets you at that and says no it's like we're gonna do it for you right and yes. so yeah, it takes, we're making you laugh and then we're just gonna terrify it, you it takes that power gonna... away from yeah. you yeah. yeah you can't yeah. matthew why why do we like to be scared well i think it, it it ties into a very visceral moment i mean it there are times when i'll be in my living room and something will seem to move and I'm, I'm a grown man, partially educated. Is it a I know what's in this house. I put it in this house. But when something seems to move, my immediate thought is gremlins or monsters or, you know, giant things from beyond the pale coming to kill me. There's an excitement. It gets your blood racing. In a, in a way, it's kind of the same response you have to like a really good first kiss. Your heart starts to pound and you start to sweat. And, you know, things start to fall off. I don't know. I I'm not normal, but I think that when you get to a point where the humor that ha ha ha, I'm laughing so hard it hurts and the terror, the leaping around and feeling like your whole body is tense when that's together, it's even more visceral. It's even more terrifying because you're not expecting it. You're not sitting there like in paranormal activity waiting for the next jump scare. 
you're laughing at the sheep and then all of a sudden, oh yeah, terrible, horrible death. Or, you know, you laugh at him calling Jack a meatloaf and then you realize, oh, by the way, that's disgusting. This guy's melting. Yeah, I, th- I think part of the reason why we like to, like to be scared is a biological reaction because yeah. when we are startled, when we are scared, when the alien jumps out of some guy's chest or when the cat comes back and it's got a hand in its mouth or when Christine starts to uncrumple uh, or in this case, when the Nazi werewolves break into the house, um, we have that fight or flight response, right? That releases all these endorphins rushing into our body. And suddenly when that moment wears off, we're filled with all of this adrenaline and endorphins yeah. and we just start giggling and laughing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of rush. And a lot of people think that the, the rush of like the, the reason why horror movies are, are pleasurable really is that Im- the moment immediately after, because mm-hmm. You know, danger gets our blood pumping and puts pours all this adrenaline into our bodies. But it, when it, you know, if you've ever been in actual danger, if you've ever had like your car like spin yes. out on the highway or something, yes. the moment right. afterward, you're laughing when, like a loon. Yeah, uh. when you get that that wave of relief that you didn't die mm-hmm. is an ex- it's it's euphoria. Yeah, I mean it yeah. is. Yeah. So yeah. that's what a horror movie does for us. It like it knocks you there. And then when you come back down from it, it just like floods your body with that feeling. So what are then are some traditional tropes that we see in a horror movie, horror monster movie? First of all, maybe do we need to explain what a trope is? To Zach, do you know what a trope is? Like a reoccurring thingy yeah. that, that genre, genres uh, will use. Yep. A trope is a, a technique or a theme or something yeah. that you can recognize in multiple uh Media, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're looking at horror, horror, the horror genre itself, eh, you know, the Western, uh, good guys wear white, black, the bad sure. guys wear black, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but in horror, there are some very specific tropes that are used that are signals that something is about to happen. Uh, musical cues, for example, are right. a good example. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, framing where you're not giving a lot of look space to your character, everything is yeah. behind. Um and and then of course a lot of the uh, corniness that can kind of come in that's really spelled out a lot in Scream. By the time you figure out this formula, like okay, uh, if you're having sex, you're gonna die. Mm. Yeah. If you're a virgin, you're gonna live. If you are this, this is gonna happen, and so on and so forth. And um, these kinds of things, I think, still work really, really well. Even though sixty, seventy years, a hundred years later, in most of these monster movie cases, we know what they are and we know what's coming up. Right. Right. Uh, Matthew, what are some of those other tropes then of, of the horror genre? Well, I mean, the ones that really pop to mind for me are what, what I refer to as the jump scare or the cat through the window where they build the tension mm. and you feel the music and something is about to happen and it's nothing. Or if you, if you get into specifically the 80s slasher genre, you get to that point where, oh, I'm so glad he's dead. He's clearly not dead. And he rises up behind you, and you don't see it, and he comes to kill you. I mean, there are hundreds of things that you'll see popping up again and again and again. Um, specifically, if you go back to the really, really old, like the the monster movies before Abbott and Costello met Frankenstein, those are all about the music making you nervous. Right, right, And then, dun, dun, dun. So, I mean... That's the just what pops right off the top of my head. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, obviously, horror comes from our fear of the unknown, 
mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. So everything's always going to be very dark, but although not as dark as what Zach watched, apparently. <laughs> um, and we'll get into that yeah, maybe a little bit later. later. In a bit. Um, so, you know, it's not it's not a coincidence that monsters come out at night or mm-hmm. live in caves or um, hang out in the dark part of your spaceship. Like, there's a reason, and that's so that they can jump out and kill you. Right. And, and that's, that's, I mean, it seems obvious, but that in and of itself is a trope, that the monster is in the darkness. Now, uh, An American Werewolf in London, and, and a lot of werewolf movies and, and werewolf stories, and I think the good werewolf stories, play with another trope, which is, you are the monster, mm. what do you do? Right. And it puts the character in a decision of when... Like you are moving towards this moment that you won't be able to control. Do you kill yourself? Do you like what do you do? Do you believe it? Because there's there are moments in this movie when you know you are going right along with um a David for the ride, and yeah. um you're like, well, maybe this all didn't happen. Maybe he is going crazy. You know, right, you're like right. because because we've gone twenty minutes now without seeing a werewolf. Like yeah. there was a thing at the beginning. And now we haven't seen a werewolf for and, this long. And I think that's part of the teaser, too, because are, is it clear that it's a wolf that's attacking, uh, you know, David and Jack out on the moors? I mean, right, we certainly right. hear the sound. And right. if you listen to it in a great mix, you it actually moves around the room with you. Uh, but we just see a bunch of fur and then we see something and then the town folk show up and kill it. And then we see a just a body. Right. And right. so when we're presented by the police and the um head doctor that are just like oh as they said it was a crazy escape man lunatic escape lunatic which is another great trope in in horror right, movies right, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. we do run on that chase of is he just going psychotic is he just having a post-traumatic stress uh, breakdown is right. he and just the imagining dreams, and the dreams this? don't help that because no. he's no. having constant nightmares and you know he does not turn into the wolf until the last third of the movie last quarter of the movie yeah. right but when he does this is the first my first real visceral memory. First time I ever remember the body horror, the someone being so viciously twisted and, and turned into something other. I, I honestly, I can't stand it when Rodrigo in one of our other podcasts refers to the people who have the heads that are melted candles. Cannot stand that. I, I hate that concept. I hate that image. The only thing worse is the other crap that he says immediately after that. And seeing the transformation, uh, you know, and makeup aside, seeing that transformation and taking it at its, you know, just the bare bones expectation, this is one of the first time I was terrified enough to where I couldn't watch anymore. I'm maybe 13, 14 years old when I first saw this movie. And we get to the point where the fingers are twisting and uh, we're done. So in, in the original uh, werewolf movie, Universal's Werewolf, and that was, I think, Lon Chaney Jr., um, mm. you know, you see this thing where the moon comes out from behind the clouds and Lon Chaney reacts and you see his eyes open up wide and you start to see uh, his hands kind of twitch. And then you cut to his eyes with a light uh, slashing across the mm. face. And then you go into this really weird makeup. And this is how they had to apply the makeup in the original werewolf movie is, okay, Lone Chaney, hold your hand really still. And we're going to apply a little patch of fur. And we're going to take a picture of that. And we're going to apply another patch of fur over here. And it's going to gradually, we're going to fill up your whole hand with werewolf mm-hmm. uh, fur. And we're going to do kind of a, 
a fade across dissolve between all right, these different shots right. to make it, it look like yes, it's built the up. Werewolf the transformation, way, a, a, uh, a love letter to the cross dissolve. Yes. And the same way <laughs> when they do his face. I mean, he's sitting there in the makeup and they're just layering it on, layering it right. on, layering it on. Mm-hmm. And it looks really, really bad as far as a transformation. So if you're going to redo a werewolf movie, I'm trying to think if there were any other, I mean. Well, there's a I'm howling. Sure, yeah, the howling yeah. and I'm a teammate, teenage werewolf and those kinds of things uh, where Teen you try wolf. to. Uh, Teen Wolf would have been after this. Uh, as far as it goes, um, you don't get into any kind of change in how we turn someone into a werewolf, right? Here we introduce Rick Baker, who's takes a different take on how do we work with prosthetics? How do we work to make this change? How do we use robotics? And suddenly you're using air bladders and you're using robotic arms and you're using prosthetics that are using a different kind of of rubber and latex than what has been before. And suddenly you've got a face, even though it does look relatively fake and stiff, you've got somebody screaming with his mouth open and all of a sudden the snout protrudes out of the front of the mouth and it looks incredibly believable. Mm -hmm. And we see the fingernails coming out of these paws um, in Real time. We're not looking at stuff that's stop yeah. motion. Hair this is, growing out yeah, of the skin. Yeah, hair growing out of the skin. This is all stuff. I'm wondering if that was done in reverse, where you're just, you've got the something underneath where you're pulling the hair in. Some of it. And you play some it of, backwards so that it's crawling out. Yeah, I think some of it was. Um, I yeah, think I, I think this, that. I think that scene holds up. This oh, it does. This yeah, movie yeah, was yeah. made in yes. 1981. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it holds up way better than a lot of stuff it, that was that came later. When it starts in, they're showing his arm transform. I think that was, it, it looked to me like it was cg or kind of so well, there was no cg this was is all this is no, all no. real okay well that was, okay then the arm thing was probably the one that start there's the first one and it kind of didn't feel like good but then it, after it got passed out, i was like it was hard to watch it oh, was yeah. hard it's, to watch it's you know, it was this is horrible. 1981 zach the seas were as big as a room and they didn't g very well the the thing that I kept expecting watching this, you know, I expect the legs to the back legs, at least to do a yeah. bend the other way. And they don't do that in this right, movie, right. which was really surprising. But um, <laughs> they didn't shatter the stunt man's legs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but come on, Griffin Dunn. Wait, is it Griffin Dunn? Is that the guy's name? Griffin Dunn. Was, uh, <laughs> oh, that's Jack. The dead guy. Mm. Right. Right. Yeah. David Naughton. Right. Come on, David. <laughs> Take one for yep, the team. On, you have to suffer for your art. <laughs> Let's see you be a pepper now. But really, that whole transformation, most of it is just prosthetics uh, being oh. done. I've got it somewhere. I've got a, a CFX magazine of, Do you? of this. Well, and and if you get the DVD, the special features talk about Always it. Always on there. Oh, yeah. Um, and and yeah. I mean, you you would be surprised how much of it was basically done with condoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, that's, what, and like, that's the whole thing is let's, I, I actually would. Let's put a bladder, you know, a bladder condom. You right. know, let's put that down uh-huh. and lay it flat and run a little air hose. Cover it with liquid latex and fur, and then as we just simply stand out of frame and blow into it, suddenly your back starts to bubble up and, and convulse. Yeah. I mean, this is what when we talked about gremlins, and we talked about yes. um, the mm-hmm. gremlin growing in size. The fur is just a balloon and people pumping it up. Mm-hmm. This is what, I mean, the facial stuff, bubbling and moving all this stuff. Yeah. This is what got people to notice about special effects and what you could do with special effects makeup. Mm-hmm. This is what earned Rick Baker and Oscar for special effects is this transformation yeah, of uh, uh, what's his name? David into, into a werewolf, not the, and again, I keep going back cause it's just so funny. You know, the Nazi werewolves, which are almost, <laughs> let's take the molds of the four or five different transformation shots and apply them each onto a different guy as sure. a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Cause if you look, it's almost the same uh, mold that's being used there and just have him come in and slaughter his family yeah. left and right. So, 
Germans. Um, Germans. So do you think from watching this, and I don't know how many horror movies you watch because you said you don't like to be scared. I've watched a hand. I've watched a dozen of them. Do you think that you have grasped what it takes to horrify people? I mean, and I guess this is, I don't know. I guess I have an appreciation for people like uh, the Ridley Scotts and um, the uh, um, whoever did the first Halloween movie. Uh, a John, lot of this. What's his name? John Carpenter. Carpenter. Yeah. Carpenter. Especially Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, we look at, at this American Werewolf in London by John Landis. Uh, and even some of the older ones where you have this ability to scare. Clive Barker. Clive Barker. You, you have this ability to scare and you can create some terrifying scenes like someone's face mm-hmm. actually not time lapsed, having a snout grow out of the face um, compared to, well, someone's just standing there having a normal conversation. And then a chainsaw bursts through his chest and rips him up and blood and a viscera is all over the place. Right. And it's like, let's drill it in. And you know, I think there's a, and again, that goes into that concept of what the torture porn is. I think that there's, these are two very different types of horror yeah. that are not, aligned anymore horror is not what it used to be and i don't i'm, I, I'm not sure i get I, what the what the thrill of seeing someone's mouth sewn to well, someone's anus and that is a horror movie i, I think uh, uh, there's it's it, it is two different things mm-hmm. um one of them is like when you think about the sort of horror of um an american werewolf in london it's actually suspense Right. right. It's actually, you might think of it more as suspense than quote unquote horror because um, what movies like, um, definitely something like Resident Evil um, and and things like that rely on is that start, right? Right. Is that all of a sudden you are startled. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's that jump, um, which actually in American World of London does very little of. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the other ones are actually just playing on your sensibilities. Stuff like Saw, um, yeah. once you are informed of what's going to happen, you it gives you time mm-hmm. to think about it and think about how horrendous it's going to be, and then it does it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not scary. It's gross it's right it's um it like it's it, un- it it harms you emotionally and that's what it does yeah. and in a in a way all three of those things accomplish the same thing right mm-hmm. they all get give you a, f- a feeling of intense discomfort and yes. then once it's over you get to have that rush of like well it was only a movie or whatever right and when you when you get into like a movie like your saw and Honestly, of the torture porn genre, as strange as this sounds, Saw is kind of on the high end of the concept wheel. Well, I think the first one the was. The first one. The first yes, one was. I think it devolved very I'm quickly after of that. Saw. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the movie Saw, in whatever year that came out. But when you get right down to it, to some degree, by the time you're into that fourth and fifth movie, or, you know, it, I always use the example of when I watched House of a Thousand Corpses, it was partly. How far will they go? But my mind was also, how are they going to do it? Can they do what they're threatening to do? And with mm-hmm. the Saw movies and with, you know, the human centipede and the movies that are all about extreme torture and, and maiming and horrifying things happening to essentially innocent people, what it really comes down to is kind of a question of, are they going to go there? Mm. 
Because if I look at, you know, there's a point in one of the Saw movies where a guy gets stabbed in the back with, with these needles that are injecting acid, and then he melts in half, and as he's dying, his lower body falls to the ground. And my mind is sitting there and going, that was probably scary in theaters, but right now I'm trying to think how they pulled it off in terms of the actual mm -hmm. physical, because it's, it's the guy there, and it's not like CG or anything. It's a physical yeah, sure. body or a model. I think to some degree, when you get into it, it's I, – I don't want to argue desensitization. But it gets to a point where you've seen people stabbed and chased by, you know, men with chainsaws and, you know, hit by cars that burst into flame, whatever it is. This is the the deeper, the more – I don't realistic is probably the wrong word, but the more clear representation of different types of – horrible things happening mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know you're kind of you're building upon that theme so if well you we see that a, in like the texas chainsaw massacre was that way exactly yeah, but yeah. the texas that first texas chainsaw massacre movie i saw that in a drive-in when i was 16 years old and it was so terrifying that a girl that i hated and i dated for four months afterward because we were locked in the car together watching that terrible movie and you know you locked that terrible movie and you just grab a hold of whatever you can and it Turned out to be me, and that was awesome. But when <laughs> when it gets down to it, I think right now some of it is, can we show in a quote unquote realistic manner someone having their you know their head chopped off or their brain cut open or their their arm lopped off and used to beat them to death? Whatever you want to do, can you do it in a way that looks more realistic than what you know we grew up with with the the rubber implements and the the mm -hmm. stuff and if you look at this movie, this movie is terrifying now, 30 years later, on that same level. But I think because of what happened in this movie, to some degree, is why we have that, that torture oh, porn. Oh, absolutely. People looked at this movie and said, look at what we can accomplish with special right. effects. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, really, when this movie went in was, let's here are the problems that we need to solve. And the reason why the special effects so good are so good is because they had things that they wanted to show and they had to innovate mm -hmm. in order to do them. Mm -hmm. It's it's Star Wars in, in mm -hmm. a way, you know. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason why Star Wars was so great and their special effects were so great, they were like, how the hell are we going to do this, guys? Yeah, and yeah. it was just a bunch of guys like sitting around and being like, what if one of the Star Destroyers is a shoe? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. all right, yeah, 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 <laughs> let's do that. Yeah. I, I don't know, is there is there innovation in horror now? Have we gotten to the point where we are able to do anything we want at a whim that we no longer have to innovate in telling wow. some of these, in telling some of these stories. There, there can be uh, yeah. to a certain degree. Like I, I think if you look at something like the ring, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, maybe doesn't do anything specifically original um, in, in its tropes, but takes modern trappings and scares us with them. Mm -hmm. Um, which is actually, again, kind of what this movie does. I mean, it right, takes right. a werewolf and puts it in a very straightforward, realistic way. You know, he's right. not chasing people through a forest. Right. He's running right. around it's, Piccadilly Circus. Mm -hmm. I, right. I think if you look at the innovation that probably maybe more recently in horror movie is still over a decade old was like the found footage movies. Yeah. Right. Those are right. recently yeah. new. Yeah, and yeah. so, I mean, and now those are getting slightly played but, out or whatever. But, but I mean, that was the innovation. It's not the innovation of... Uh, I mean, like what they're showing on TV screen, but it's like the the manner of how we, sh right. I guess, the show the story. The sure. Technique, 
yeah, that they're using to deliver the scare. If you look at, say, the, the, the kid and I watched Paranormal Activity, there are five really terrifying moments in that film. But they build it and they build it and they build it. And I think the film is successful because of the technique they use to build it. I mean, if you, for me, if you look at, say, 15 years ago, uh, the movie, the remake of House on Haunted Hill with uh, Gene Gray and Jeffrey Rush and uh, Tyrese Gibson and those guys. Mm-hmm. Tay Diggs, rather. I really like that movie and I find it really terrifying and really effective because of the way they vary their themes. I mean, in the year 2013, I think that there's two problems with saying, is there innovation? First, you know, the, the movie industry is a hundred years old. There aren't really any stories that somebody hasn't tried to tell at this point. It's what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? Is it a question of technique? Is it a question of form? Is it a question of perspective? How are you going to make this your story? But more importantly, people are still being scared by movies. When we rented um, the house in the woods, the cabin in the woods, cabin in the woods, Cabin in the Woods is a very metatextual film that says, okay, we know what you expect from a horror movie. We're going to show you everything you expect, and then we're going to say, ha-ha, everything you expect is not what you expect. I feel like that is a real, for some values of the word, innovation of the horror form, because it's, it's flat out saying we know what you expect well, we know what you think you're going to see in a way so we're going to address that in a way it is and in a way it's doing the exact same thing that an american werewolf in london does and that Shaun of the dead does is mm. you take this you take the tropes of the horror movie and yep. you basically you you are walking down this path and each time you encounter a trope it either plays it straight and scares you mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. flips it and makes you laugh at it. Right, right. Right. And you never know each time you get somewhere whether you're going to laugh or be scared. And that's mm-hmm. what the movie does every time. Is when you expect like you're like, okay, okay, this time they're gonna scare me and they make you laugh. Mm-hmm. And you laugh right. so hard because you were expecting to be scared. Mm-hmm. And likewise, they get to a point and you're like, oh, they're going to make fun of this one. And it's the scariest thing in the universe yeah, because once yes. again, you weren't expecting it. Uh, have I, you guys ever watched uh, Funny Games? It was made by uh, a German director and then he did a Shocker Shot remake uh, in English. And I know it, it plays a lot of horror tropes in that it gets you right up to that moment and it makes you believe and it, it, it'll do the scene, but not how most... Uh, horror movies would do it they'll still do exactly what you think and then it plays with some other things at the end it's really interesting and worth watching i think if you see it uh, rodrigo why why is uh, american werewolf in london one of your favorite all-time movies i think it's because it i think it's because it does that i think it's because it actually goes into very familiar territory mm-hmm. and then um picks and chooses the things that it likes about it keeps those and then does new and different things with the others um and and you know along with that it's got great special effects and i actually mm-hmm. think that it's a very good werewolf movie i think that there's there's a core just like the zombie and like i think the core of the zombie movie is 
people are going to kill you. Yes. Not necessarily zombies are going to kill you, but either people or zombies are going to kill you. Right. I think the core right. of the werewolf movie is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. The, 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 pro- the, the protagonist is doomed from the beginning, and then you see him Hamlet his way through it. Mm-hmm. I think that's what yeah. a werewolf movie is. And I think, you know, uh, um, American Werewolf in London, The Howling, actually, mm-hmm. um, Ginger Snaps, I think those are all examples of, like, really good werewolf movies that keep that core of what's a good werewolf movie and then um essentially play with the themes around it yeah so one of the um i guess interesting things about how we all watch this is if you've had this on dvd for years yeah uh i watched this from a a a blu-ray version in the in the home theater zach watched this on amazon prime yeah so there's a lot of different experiences that go into and matthew may have seen this uh, he said he saw this as a drive-in um, VHS. <laughs> there are a number of things that happen in this viewing experience, and one of the th- one of the things that are gained or lost in film, and we're going to talk about that right after we thank some people. Yeah, let's thank some people. I'd like to shout out to Aaron Lim, Benjamin Wisher, Vern Wells, Andrew Coleman, Sean Krause, Roberto Lawson, Joel A. Maroney, Kevin Hall, The Mongoon Show, and Andrew Irwin. Thank you for your donations to Major Spoilers and helping to keep this cause alive and going week after week. If you want to find out more and how you can get your name shouted out at this part of the show, head over to members.majorspoilers.com. So, Zach, you didn't have a very good experience watching this movie, beyond the fact that you were uh, scared and your, right. and your fiancé had to hold you tight and say, there, there, young Zach. <laughs> yeah, there, she there. comforted me through this. Um, she told you to shut up, didn't she? <laughs> no, she was building some Halloween Man costume. Yeah, she smacked me. Uh, she was bearing... She was, she was making a sexy werewolf costume. Is that what you no, said? She was making a scarecrow costume oh, oh, for okay. the kindergarten class she teaches. Oh, well, sexy werewolf <laughs> would have totally been inappropriate then. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, so totally anyway, what, what happened? Uh, so I'm watching it and I'm streaming uh, you're it. You're watching I'm, this on your computer. Uh, yeah, I, I started watching the movie on my fiance's laptop streaming from Amazon Prime. And so I watch it and it gets to some scenes where the two friends are talking after... Uh, one's dead and one's kind of going psycho and th- it's just so dark I can't even see one of the characters it's, I was like surely this isn't lighting I understand it's dark it's night they're indoors but you don't I mean you, you don't shoot a film like this you don't shoot things like this where you can't see an entire character for an entire conversation so I stopped watching on our laptop I said something's wrong with your internet something's wrong with your computer I'll go home I'll watch it on my iMac surely it'll be better fast forward it wasn't. It was completely dark. Get to the end scene with the movie theater, and we're seeing all the people. David's killed, and I'm still completely not being able to see characters mm-hmm. on the screen due to how dark it was. I had my brightness fully jacked up. My stream was fine. It was just the film was way too dark. So actually, what Amazon Prime is doing is it's doing it exactly correct. In that it is taking something that has what is called a very large latitude or a high contrast range, mm-hmm. and it's compressing it down into a format that it can deliver easily and stream easily over the web. Uh, when we talk about uh, contrast range or we talk about latitude, we're talking about all the different variations from pure black to pure white that a medium is able to reproduce. Mm-hmm. Film has a huge latitude. Uh, This is why a lot of people like to shoot on film and why you may want to shoot on film, uh, Zach, is because you can go way far into the blacks without it being crushed, without it 
without it totally losing detail. So you right. are sitting on a black couch. You have your black backpack there. You've got your black uh, jack gum and you're wearing your black jacket, right? Mm -hmm. Rodrigo and I sitting here can see and make out all the details of the couch. We can see where the backpack transitions into the couch. We can make out the variations and the wrinkles and how the light hits that backpack. Our eyes have a huge latitude, okay? Mm -hmm. And so we can make out all of these details. Film can do that too. It can see the shadow that your black backpack is casting onto the black couch, Mm -hmm. and it can reproduce that. Video, on the other hand, does not have as wide a latitude or as wide a contrast range, it's not able to produce all of the variations in that uh, color or shading. So when you start to get too dark or when you start to get too light, you either run into the mud, you crush your blacks, meaning that the transition zone between your backpack and the couch where that shadow is would be all one single color Mm -hmm. uh, to, uh, to video, whereas film would be able to see that separation. And so, and and, and we should point out that it does, it does depend on the, Type of film. It does depend on the type but, of but film. But film in general right. has wider, um, a, 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 is a more forgiving yes. a medium when it comes to uh, your blacks. And you can also use that to great effectiveness when you're doing special effects. Mm. Because it has such a wide latitude and it is so forgiving, you can let a lot of stuff slip through. When you start crushing that stuff, when you start smashing it together and trying to make it smaller to fit into this different format, and by smaller, I'm not actually saying we're reducing the image size or anything like that. But, but you're the, reducing the information. Yes, you're reducing the information. And there, pixel and there is information loss. So when you watch, and this just uh, saddened me to no end, when I got that VHS uh, collection of the original Star Wars movies in the yeah. widescreen, and the TIE fighters come flying through, I'm like... What the hell's that white box all yeah. the way around the, you the can, tie you can fighters? See the mat. That's the mat that in video pops out because the contrast range is reduced. Huh. Uh, it's almost like adjusting the contrast on your on your uh, TV. Yeah. Uh, whereas in film, it's so spread out you don't notice that transition zone as much. So the, in the case of Star Wars and even Star Trek, uh, a lot of the special effects are ruined in the original version because of the mats are all messy. Of course, when Lucas, you know, when they did the 20-year and the 30-year anniversary and they remastered everything digitally, they went in and cleaned all that and stuff up. And the 23-year and yes. the 28-year. <laughs> and, and the 21-year and six-month. Mm-hmm. Um, they cleaned all that up and, they, of course, they replaced it a lot with digital, so you don't see that anymore. Um, so we don't have that record as much anymore of what happens. But when we're taking a video or a film and we're crushing it down even smaller to a web space... We're losing even more contrast. And this is why when you're watching a film, um, and you can see this too on your YouTube videos if you look closely, Mm -hmm. uh, blow it up and you will actually see chunks of the pixelization going on because it's trying to compress or quantize that information in those specific regions. So you get very blocky stuff. And especially you see this uh, no um, dig on your the company that you work for. But they do digital broadcasts, right? Yeah. And so some on, on sometimes on the lower channels, mm-hmm. when they're doing a, a gradient fade where it starts dark in one corner and then moves across, you actually see the blocks yeah, yeah, it's move like, yeah, across yeah, the yeah. screen. It's like a pixelated blob trying to it's eat your TV. Super yes. annoying. And that is just the nature of compressing that data down even smaller and losing even more contrast range and losing even more information. So unfortunately, what's happening is you're taking something that was shot intentionally on film to have a wide latitude so that you could see the little details of the hairs sprouting out the back of his neck mm-hmm. so that you could see the gray fur of David in the theater as he's leaning over that very dark, bloodied body and looking up at the usher or whoever the man was who's dark skinned and wearing dark clothes mm-hmm. in the film. You can see all of that. 
crunch that down for a streaming experience, and I'm going to bet that this was not a 1080p streaming experience. This was probably a 680 streaming experience. You're losing a ton of information, and suddenly the real cool transformation of Jack, right? That's the friend's name. Yeah. From fresh zombie to rotted zombie where his teeth are showing and his eyes are just rolling around in the sockets. All of that's completely lost because yeah. of the digital format. So when we look at um, cameras, and, and, and I know you're, you and I are kind of both up on, on cameras and get giddy over the experience of what the camera can reproduce, this is why so many people are excited about 10-bit cameras and cameras like um, uh, the Blackmagic mm-hmm. camera, these cameras that can shoot in RAW, because what they're trying to do is move away from an 8-bit environment, which is traditional video, into a 10-bit or even larger uh, color range yeah. um, that will give you that latitude. And if you've seen that black magic stuff, you see that it looks very flat mm-hmm. because it's got, it's capturing those highs and those lows and allows you then to go into post and adjust that so that you can get the mm-hmm. contrast that you want out of your picture and to, and to colorize it yeah. without losing that information. Unfortunately, until you're using a camera that has a large color range or has a large contrast range or latitude, you have to be very careful about what you're shooting because you're going to lose a lot of stuff in your blacks and you're going to lose a lot of stuff in your whites and you're not going to be able to recover any of that. Mm-hmm. Additionally, this does um, bring up something important that you have to learn as some as a person who produces media, especially mm-hmm. visual media, mm-hmm. is you are going to have to come to terms and you might this might be easier for you. For some people, it's very difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to have to come to terms with the fact that there are going to be people who experience your work, who are going to do it, on crappy TVs or streaming it at the lowest stream possible. Mm -hmm. And this magnificent masterpiece that you made is going to look crappy through no fault of your own. It's just the way that they're experiencing it is going to suck. And you have to, like, I don't know, bite your knuckle Mm -hmm. and just realize that that's the way that things are going to be sometimes. One of the cool things about the Moore sequence when they're walking out, at least in the version that I watched, and and my home theater has got surround sound and all that in there. As the werewolf is howling, you hear it on oh, yeah. the different mm. parts of the screen where it's supposed to be in that in that aural space. And that's really cool if you've got a surround sound mix. But the other thing is, as Rodrigo was saying, you have to think about the least common denominator. So what ends up happening a lot of times when you go into an edit bay is, yeah, they may have some really cool speakers, but right next to it somewhere, they're going to have what's called a granny speaker. Right. Yeah. The kind of speaker that your grandma is going to have in her crappy 1975 Zenith, <laughs> and they're going to listen to it through that, and they're going to watch it on a lower quality uh, uh, monitor so that they can see, well, what's it going to look like when it hits the end user? What's it going to, ha- when it hits the person who hasn't gone through the HD conversion yet? What's going to happen to someone who doesn't have a surround sound into their TV? What's it going to sound like? I mean, this happened This happened to me. A lot on like, PBS, right? This, I mean, this happens to me, like, this literally happened to me, like, a month ago. Where I was sitting there, I was editing something, and the audio mix in my headphones sounded just fine. Mm-hmm. But when you put it out, and somebody has like a single speaker TV, not yeah, even yeah. like <laughs> like not even mono on two channels, just right, like right. a just TV a that only has speaker. one, like or or somebody's watching it on their computer with crappy speakers, or like mm-hmm. the music was too loud. And I was like, you don't tell me that the music was too loud. <laughs> the music was perfect. Well, but. When somebody else heard it, it just compressed everything, so the music was too loud. A good example of that is, uh, well, you weren't here for Dungeons & Dragons, but um, when we do bonus tracks, the way we have it hooked up, and I'm going to have to check and see about trying to get a mono only out, 
But that happens when we're watching the movie as we feed a line in so that we can hear it while we're talking. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is we lose the dialogue and we hear the music because of the way things are right. coming through that single channel. So mm-hmm. this happens a lot and you really do have to be aware of it. I mean, you may come up with something that looks fantastic, but the minute it shows up on YouTube, man, it looks like a cruddy mess. Yeah. And and I'm not saying that always happens no. because you can upload stuff at 1080p and it looks fantastic. Yeah. I mean, look at that stuff GoPro is doing. Um but maybe you're going to put it on a local cable channel and they're going to only run it at SD. <laughs> you shake your head and you shut up. Oh, I deal with it all the time. Oh, it drives me up the wall. Believe me, the stuff that, the, the stuff that we're SD? doing. No, you can't. It's 2013. <laughs> the stuff we're doing, you know, the, the problem with the college channel is it's still uh, – it's still SD, so we're shooting mm-hmm. all of these football games and everything in HD, and it just looks wonderful, and it looks perfect, and it's like, oh, when this shows on an HD channel, it's going to be wonderful, <laughs> and then you flip it onto the on-demand, or you flip it onto uh, just the regular over-the-air broadcast, and it's the colors are all muddy, yeah. they're bleeding across one another, and all these things, uh-huh. and it's just, it's the nature of the medium, you know? 15 years ago, we would have accepted that gladly. We would have yep. said, oh, this looks wonderful. Today, we look at it and say it's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like when our cable packages now, you have generally more channels in your SD package, but our TV never, our, our cable guide never goes to SD. We just keep it in our HD things. I'm mm-hmm. not going to watch anything in SD anymore. Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he's become a snob. No, oh. it's fine. Well, he was, you know. Zach was no, fairly man. young when the transition happened. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't. He doesn't he remember right the days of yore. Well, yeah. and that's the and you know when we talk, oh, we could go into a whole discussion of how the government screwed over HD and how mm. we could have had true HD back in the eighties, but mm. regulation got into it and, and government. Uh, yeah. We could have had f- uh, free electricity if Tesla had only been allowed. I know, stupid Edison. Edison, that hack. You know, he was one of the first pirates of uh, of of movies of of media. He he stole George Malay's trip to the moon oh, and made not, copies of it. Let's not bash on Edison. Next, no, we have to bash on it. Edison yeah. every chance no, we get because we start here and then Tesla, all of a sudden uh, we're talking about bacon and uploading pictures of laughing freaking cats. And no, uh, here is where I draw. Oh wait, hold on. I don't oh, understand. What's wrong with bacon and laughing cats? Nothing. I will kill you. So yes, understand. Edison bad. <laughs> Tesla good. Yeah. No. Except except for for the whole like eugenics thing. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, life dude, is more complex than that there are no heroes and villains except for edison and he's, batman. A, he's a villain and batman yes, yes. okay uh so zach Not what helping, have you zach. what know. have you learned about horror mm-hmm. uh or other things that you may have picked up while watching an american well, werewolf in london because I was watching. Apparently, this. oh, one thing that I've learned oh, is yeah. apparently a wolf can bite a man's head off in one oh, that was awesome. pass. Well, a werewolf That's certainly can. <laughs> it goes rolling across the school, street. Like nine kids. That was probably one of the best moments of these cars just <laughs> smashing into one another. You can tell that you can tell John Landis is maybe making references back to National Lampoon at the end. Uh, Animal House Animal when House. everything is just blowing yeah. up. Well, I mean, it, it, that scene is to a large degree what you, what what we wanted, right? It's like this oh, yeah. whole movie just like builds, like just has this slow burn all the way up there. And then it's like everything, every mm-hmm. last thing, this werewolf destroys the world in front of you. Yes, yes. Awesome. In five seconds. In five seconds. Yeah. yeah. So what oh, you learned, anyway, Zach? So I was watching American Werewolf in London. I was thinking... What what does it take to make up a, a mashup genre movie good? And so I pondered this while people died on the screen. And 
I thought, well, John Landis is a, he's a pretty funny guy, and this movie's this movie's pretty funny. I don't know what his pedigree on horror movies before this. But so I was thinking, and then I thought, uh, in my room I have a poster of Red State. I said, well, Kevin Smith is a funny guy, but he made Red State. That's a pretty pretty freaking scary movie. But there's very Kevin Smith-like elements of just a plethora of dialogue right. running through this movie. So I figured maybe the the way to make a successful genre smash-up movie is understand what your strengths are. And I think Landis found that with his comedy and uh, Kevin Smith certainly found it with his writing style. And then to bring in a team that can complement your style to make the movie you want to make. I mean, because we talk about John Landis or Ridley Scott or Christopher Nolan as the people that are making this movie, but really there's hundreds of thousands of people making this movie. Right. So and, the yeah, ability yeah. to bring in a good team has to be important in making anything, but I think especially possibly a genre mashup. And well, that's a that's a great point for any movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, the director is imp- obviously incredibly important because they're the ones in control, mm-hmm. uh, unless you count like an executive producer or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, obviously having a director of photography who understands what you're going for, a gaffer who understands what you're going for, a special effects right, right, team right. who understands what you're going for, yeah. that's what synthesizes into a good movie, at least visually, and is. Uh, as you as you pointed out, particularly vital in a movie that is maybe floating in between genres when you need to, you can't just say, okay, make this set scary. You have to be like, for a movie in which the characters are going to be joking around before one of them gets their head eaten, how do we light this? Right. right. What uh, did your girlfriend think? Uh, I'm too busy making scarecrow costumes for little kids. Well, I, I had it playing. I watched... Oh, probably the first forty minutes with it with her in the room, and it was tilted, and she was watching it, and she was commenting and things. Uh, and then I saw her later in the day when I had finished the movie. And I was like, "Wow, I'm glad you didn't finish watching that movie with me because you, well, you just wouldn't have. You would have left because that transformation scene was horribly terrifying, and I had trouble <laughs> watching it. There's no way you would have made it through. So she did not. You should uh, really borrow me. Rodrigo's Blu-ray. And, uh, mine's a DVD. Oh, I a DVD. actually got it before I had a... Oh, before you had a Blu-ray yeah. player. Before yeah, actually, I really enjoyed this movie, so I might just pick it up. Yeah. And how are you going to pick that up, Zach? Oh, I'd probably just head over to Majorspoilers.com and click on an Amazon.com link. It's what I would do. Oh. Being, same, being same, rational. Same price to buy the Blu-ray? Oh, I would assume it would probably be the same price. Actually, I'm, I know it would be the same price, but a little bit would come back to Major Spoilers to help us out. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Zach, I think you got a good grasp of what horror is. I, I think you know what scares you, right? Yeah. And do you have a good Everything. grasp of what do you think scares other people? I think so. I think it's pretty easy to take that and wrap it around a story and, and do something. So good job. Right Thank you. Go? Oh, yeah, I think you did a, a great job. And uh, since you said you liked the movie, <laughs> then... You have to deduct a little bit because he didn't say he loved the movie. Yes. But he didn't say he was going to buy it using that Amazon.com link over at Majorspoilers.com. That's right. No, of, of course, you would have been uh, perfectly fine had you not liked it. But I'm glad that you did get out of it basically what I did. Yeah, Matthew. Uh, C plus. Nah, I'm being a dick. Uh, probably an A minus. Zach definitely has an understanding of what makes the movie work and what makes the movie scary. So I'll give him. I'll give him props this week. All right, cool. Thank you. Well, that'll do it for us this week. On oh wait Zach a minute. Whoa, what are we doing next week? Next week. There will not be a Zach on film Why not? audio podcast. Well, I have this job, and right now, at the time of this recording, 
It is football postseason, baby. Whoop, whoop. Go, sports, go. And uh, next week, when we re- generally record all these fine podcasts you listen to, I will be in the middle of uh, oh. in the middle of a show in yeah, the studio, giving some highlights of all the great high school playoff football action that's happening that week. Cool. So I will not be here. So what are we going to do instead? Um, well, I think if you kind of keep your eye on Majorspoilers.com, you might see some video content. Oh, okay. Yeah, instead of just audio, let's go video and audio next week. And it has to do with, uh, this all comes about based on a question that someone sent into our yeah, other podcast, I think it was, Major yeah, Spoilers yeah. podcast, mm-hmm. so we'll see what happens and how well things. it comes out. Yeah. Have, you already, have you already done it? I haven't yet. Okay. I've been busy. Wait until it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. Wait, wait no. until the witching hour and then watch that movie. Uh, the witching hour. My clock doesn't go that high. <laughs> well, that's clock. it. Next week, uh, video stuff. The week after that, if you want to get ready, we'll be watching Memento. So watch that. That's it for this week on Zach on Film. <laughs>